Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is the real estate Q&A that I do bi-weekly. This is the first one for 2022. So I am excited. I got a few questions going on. Looking forward to this. Um, so I think it's going to be good. It's going to be great. And yeah, like, wow. You know what I mean? Like, hope all your uh, holidays were great. I hope you guys, uh, you know, had a very, very, very happy holiday, successful holiday. You got everything you wanted. Got some relaxed time. Got some time for yourselves. You know what I mean? Got your goals in for 2022, ready to take off because uh, I did my goals. I'm excited. Things are happening. I'm ready as well. So, you know, what can I say? The market is still bananas, but I'm here and happy to be here to answer all your questions. So we're going to start off with the first question, how to protect a buyer buying a property with a pool in winter? That is the question. That is a very tricky one because if you're in the winter, the pool is more than likely closed up. So with the, with the pool being closed up, there's no way to actually tested in the winter being everything's frozen you can't you're not exactly going to reopen it up in minus you know 20 degrees so the only thing you can do at time of offer is ask that the buyer warrants the pool as a part of a condition of the sale so come springtime should something happen should there be a problem with the pool and they agreed to the terms you can go back and ask the buyer for the money and you have it in contract so it can be held up in court. That's the only thing you can do. Other than that, there's no way to test it in the winter. The other thing you can do, depending like prime example right now, it's uh, the beginning of January and just say, you're not going to need the place till April. Are you going to look by the time you find a place, it'll be February. So you can have a closing date in April where you can open up the pool, hopefully open up the pool, have that condition for the pool being in working order and uh, keep that condition on until closing day or close to closing day where you can release it and you can open up the pool, have it tested. Then that's the other option. I don't know if a seller would go for that. So having a warranty in the offer is probably the best way. Sometimes what you can do is you can have it so that a certain money is, is state, you know, in the lawyer's trust account. So by keeping it in the lawyer's trust account in case there's something wrong towards repair, should you open up the pool and there is no problem, that money gets released and goes back to the seller. Should you need the repair, you get the repair done and that money goes towards the repair or whatever the repair is and the difference gets split. That's the way to do it is in the agreement through the clause. I think that's about the only way you could do it in winter. Kind of a scary thing, but that's just the way it is with pools. So it's got to be, again, done in the agreement. So moving on to the second question, I bought a pre-construction condo and want to assign the condo to someone. How early would you list the unit to find someone to assign it? What should I be on the lookout for and what should I be aware of? That's a very good question as well. And in terms of what you should be, um, when should you list it? That will depend on your circumstances. I mean, obviously, when you uh, bought the the assignment or bought the unit to assign, 
you had qualified to get the mortgage. Whether that's still the case or not, I don't know. So the first question you have to ask is, what if you can't assign the unit on time? Can I close or is this going to be a real problem? Because that will determine how much time you need and when you should sell. So assuming that you could close and that it won't be an issue if you had to close, you may not want to close for obvious fees and charges, but you know, at the same time, you want to get as much appreciation from the unit before you close as possible. Because obviously, if you bought something, we'll say in 2021, and you want to sell it in 2022, and it doesn't close until 2024, obviously, that one-year appreciation or the less than one-year appreciation is not going to be as high as keeping it for three years. So, you're going, is there opportunity lost by signing it early? Yes, 100%. Also, you got to check your agreement to make sure that in your papers, you have the ability to assign that you agreed to this with the builder at the time of purchase. Sometimes there's even a fee. You got to check what that fee is as well. So you want to make sure that it is viable to do it. I typically recommend... And this is just a suggestion, not mandatory, that you start looking to assign roughly about six months prior to closing. It gives you enough time to find a person, get all the paperwork and uh, admin stuff, you know, out of the way and gives you some leeway. And then you got to maximize a lot of uh, appreciation over that time. So question is, do you need a realtor to do this? Well, if you know somebody who wants to take it over, you just need a lawyer. Probably easier to get it done through a realtor. When you assign something, the, uh, the builder usually has many restrictions, such as not being able to list it on the MLS because they don't want units out there that have been sold already to buyers competing with the units that they have available still in their pocket that they're waiting to sell. Because when a builder has just, say, 300 units, they don't list the full 300 in the beginning. They have different phases, usually three or four phases. So phase one, phase two, phase three, phase four. So obviously phase one gets you the best price. Phase two is the second best price and it, goes, it gets worse as it goes. Now, a lot of times what they don't tell you is that the builder holds back a few units for themselves so that they can sell it at the end with the appreciated price as well. And therefore, usually in their agreements, you cannot compete with them. And hence why, while it's an assignment phase, you cannot advertise on the MLS and, and promote and, and advertise, you know, against their own units. So that's usually part of the agreement, which is why a lot of times this becomes an exclusive listing, meaning it's not on the MLS and it's just done through the realtors and their network, which makes that easier than try to get it yourself since you can't advertise it. So yeah, you should use a realtor. I recommend six months. Again, if you know you can't close, circumstances have changed, you lost your job, um, you bought another unit, and what ends up happening is your mortgage availability went into that unit that you're closing on, so you're not going to be able to close on both, as an example. Not that I suggest you ever put yourself in that position, but it does happen. If you get in that situation and you want to make sure you close, sometimes taking a lower appreciation amount to get out of the deal so you're not in a bind 
you might want a little bit more time just to make sure that happens. Remember, the builder has to approve all this too. The person who you're assigning to has to get approved, you know, like you did. They're going to have to get their mortgage approval, pre-approval. The builder is going to have to agree on it. Um, and that's the way it's got to be done. So you need, you want some time to do that too. So it depends on how fast you have to get rid of it and whether there's any danger of you being able to close or not close. If you're able to close, you want to get as much appreciation as possible. So I would go closer to the date than further from the date. Again, it depends on your circumstance. Talk to a realtor, talk to your lawyer, see what uh, options you have and explain your situation with them. They'll give you the best opportunity there. Now, number three, how can, much can a landlord increase my rent price in the condo I'm living each year? Now that depends on which condo you are living in. If you're in a condo that or any new construction or any kind of building that was constructed from 2018 on, the answer is they can increase it to whatever they want. There is no rent controls after 2000, new builds after 2018. Now, if you're in a building that was constructed before 2018, then it is dictated by the landlord and tenant board or the government on, on the yearly rate. And you can look that up. I believe, I believe, and I could be wrong, I believe that for uh, 2022 or the one, it was 1.2%, but I could be wrong. I saw it briefly, wasn't really paying attention to it, to be honest, but... I mean, again, the government uh, lets you know what the rent increase each year. But again, that's only for buildings prior, built prior to 2018. Buildings after 2018, they can raise it to whatever they want. So going to number four, does the buyer have to pay HST on a new construction purchase price? Now that's another tricky one. Now, if you're an investor and you're buying to rent out, Yes, you will pay the HST. Now, if you're buying to move in, often there is an HST rebate for people moving in, which means you don't pay the HST, but you have to live into the, in the place for one year. Now, part of the contract is, should you not live in the place in one year and the government does not accept the rebate as a result, they're going to bill the builder and you're going to end up paying it. So, after a year, you'll get a letter from the government saying we've accepted your rebate, which means you do not owe it. But should you leave prior to that year, more than likely, it's not a primary residence. Therefore, it's an investment property. It's an investment property, meaning you're going to pay the HST. So if you're an investor and you're not moving in and you're, you know, don't lie about it because you're going to get caught you're going to end up paying the HST on the purchase. And it's probably better to do it in the beginning because you can include it in your mortgage. I believe you could. I'm not a mortgage broker, but so I'm not 100% sure on that one, but I'm pretty sure because if your mortgage is 500 and it costs you 500, I can't see why that uh, HST is not included in that 500. So, but that being said, imagine being six months in, you move out and you get a bill, just say for 16,000 HST. A lot harder to do, isn't it? So that's just a suggestion. You're an investor. You're buying to rent out. You're going to pay the HST. You're moving in. There's an HST credit. More than likely, it'll be on the contract if it exists, on the contract with the builder. Um, so more than likely, HST is included in, which basically means you won't pay it as long as you're there for a year as a primary residence.
So go number five. We are in another lockdown or restricted time in Ontario. I'm aware that the number of listings right now is really low. I want to go door knocking and introduce myself as an agent in my area. Is this a good time and am I allowed? Obviously, this is a realtor question. So is this a good time? We're in restrictions where people are emotionally angry um, or scared. Do they really want, we're told not to go in front, be around people and you want to go knock on doors to be around people. I don't know. It depends on the person answering the door. Somebody answers the door, they might not mind there. Hey, it might be a fresh face they can talk to. They might welcome that. They might be somebody who's scared and uh, really wondering, what are you doing? So is it a good time? It's not ideal. It has not been banned. Um, again, you can, should still social distance, be six feet apart, knock on the door, step back, maybe to the bottom of the stairs and talk from there. Suggestion. Um, it's going to be a personal preference. Uh, myself, I'm not going to do it, but I'm not going to judge you if you want to do it. Um, everybody's perception is different. Maybe knock on a few doors, see the reception, see if people are uh, like, whoa, what are you doing? Or whether they're welcoming to it or neutral, and then decide how far you want to proceed with it. That might be the way to tell. I mean, again, we're in this so-called lockdown. It's probably said originally, what, to mid-January, late January, a couple, two, three weeks, whatever. Maybe hold off to the end of the month and see if there's another announcement, if they extend it or not. If they don't extend it, knock away. If they do extend it, then just use your judgment. Okay, number six, I'm interested. I'm an interested buyer and and new to hold on what i'm an interested buyer new to canada i've been here for 20 months and i am renting an apartment me and my wife have been working in canada for 18 months what should i do to begin with my home search ah that's a good question um and a common question what i would do number one is talk to a mortgage broker you can talk to a bank but i always suggest talk to a broker because a broker has many financing options. And what you want to do is be careful that you're not constantly zapping your credit. Because the more you zap your credit, the lower your points go. And the lower your points, the less you'll get. And not only will it be the less you'll get, the less likely you'll get approved. Because if it goes below a certain amount, you will no longer qualify. You already might already be under that certain amount. I don't know. That's where coming and talking to the bank or the mortgage broker comes in. Um, I always suggest a mortgage broker because they can farm out your credit and your uh, and your application to multiple lenders and see who will give you what and present you with the best options. That is my opinion, but it is not mandatory. You can go to your bank if you feel more comfortable. I just never recommend going directly to a bank from my own experiences and for the reason I just said. Doesn't mean you can't, but either way, you want a pre-approval before you even get into the search. One of the reasons is we're in a crazy market now where you're going to see a home listed as an example, listed for 500,000, but that home is not going to sell for 500,000. More than likely that home is going to sell for, as an example, we'll say uh, 700,000. So if that's selling for 700,000 and you looked at it because it said 500,000 and you got approved for 500,000, you have zero chance of getting it, obviously. 
But we're also in that market where you can't put in a financing clause. So even if that place would sell for 500000 you put in a financing clause with, with this market where everyone else is coming in, clean and clear, no conditions, I don't think you're going to get accepted. I'll give you an example. You're selling your house. You've got 10 offers on it. You've got five people that have no conditions on it that are very good offers. And you got five people. One has a, a, a mortgage clause. One has uh, an inspection clause. One has whatever clause in it. Which one are you going to choose? I'm willing to bet the first five that have clauses in there and restrictions are going to be the ones that you're going to grab and go, gone, right? Not going to look at those. Again, that's assuming that everyone's around the same price. Now, if you're 500,000 and everyone else is 300,000, you might still get it with the clause. But that's not happening today. What's happening is more than likely things listed at 500, and you're gonna have offers coming in between 550 and 700. So I, I'm sure you can guess which ones is gonna get accepted. So with that being said, you want a clean offer when possible. And the way to get a clean offer is to go to the bank or to go to your broker, get a pre-approved for amount, amount that you need the broker to say that it is safe to go without the clause. Always, when I put on an offer, first call I make is to the mortgage company to ensure that I can remove the clause with no retribution. Because sometimes they give you a pre-approval, which means you can get approved up to, but it's not a firm approval. So I like to clarify that before I put in an offer. And I, and I, and I do that with all my clients because I want to be certain. Because once you put in that offer, there's no rescinding. You're screwed. So you want to be certain. So you want to get a full pre-approval. That's the first thing you do. Once you get that pre-approval, then go back to your agent and then you guys can talk details. So number seven, I am currently working in Toronto and I'm looking to buy a home. I have been approved for a home at 800,000. Obviously, I'm not going to get a home in the city at that price. Where should I be looking? That is another interesting question as well because what it comes down to is that you're working in toronto so working in toronto where should you buy technically toronto you work there but obviously we had just stated you're not going to find a home for eight hundred thousand. so one thing i would do from there is assess your needs does it have to be a detached home could you not begin your search maybe in a condo? At 800000 you might be able to find a two-bedroom condo. Would that suffice? Because if that's the case, you might want to buy close to work. That is an option. Um, one of the reasons you want to consider that, because you got to get in the market somehow. Let's be honest. My advice to anybody is just get in the market. doesn't matter what, because you can take the appreciation over the next five years to be able to step up. If this is your first home, and you're expecting to get a job, regular job, regular wage, get a house with a white picket fence on your very first buy, that's not going to happen. More than likely, you have to progress. Start off with a condo. Start off with a townhouse if you can find it. In Toronto, I know you're not. Not at 800000 You might be able to find a condo townhouse, which is okay too, because that's just a step. So I always suggest live close to work. It's one of those things, you're going to work five days a week. You're home two days a week. So you want to be close to work more than anything. 
if possible, if possible. Now, if I, you know, my choices are buy a little further away or rent. Forget the fact that I, I'm in a, an agent, I'm a realtor. Forget that. I still would not say do that. I'd want to buy, get in the market, and get into some form of appreciation. If I couldn't leave the city because of my work and I had to rent, I would continue renting. But I would buy the home anyways and rent it out because at least you're building equity somewhere. So in terms of where should you buy, to answer your original question, it all depends on what your circumstances are, what you're willing to do, what your work looks like. Prime example, if you're living in the hybrid model, meaning that you're only going to work one or two days a week, you could buy an hour away from Toronto. Do you mind doing the one-hour drive? Does it bother you? Now, remember, you're doing that five days a week, and more than likely, you're going to do it for more than a year. So that being said, could you live with an hour drive twice a week to work? If the answer is yes, then go west, east, north, wherever. Go wherever you can, drive until you can buy, basically. Um, in terms of what you should buy, again, if you can afford the detached, go ahead and buy it. I don't see the likelihood of buying a detached home, or at least the kind of home you're looking for, for $800,000 today. Um, if you're in Toronto, where you can find it is when you start getting into London, you start getting to um, Brantford, you start getting into Waterloo, I think, maybe, maybe not even. Um, you know, you're going really west to be able to get into something. And mark my words when I say that. I'm naming Waterloo. I'm saying London. Don't expect to find mansions for that price. For that price, you might find a home. I'm not guaranteeing what condition it's in, how old it is, or anything like that. So Niagara region, you might be able to find something for 800. It's uh, very limited. I'm telling you that now. It's very limited at that price. So go into the mindset that you may have to start with a condo and if a, or, or a townhouse. You might have to start with that townhouse for the $800,000 budget. That may be your option. But like I said, get into something. Let it appreciate. Use the appreciation to then buy your next home. Um, I would not go regardless of it, uh, of anything I said here. I would not go more than an hour away from your work. And don't base it on Sunday driving when the roads are empty. Base it on the Monday to Friday driving. So one hour is, the and that's my opinion again. So my first option, I would say, buy whatever you can buy in the city. 800 grand will buy you a condo. I would start with that. You may have three kids, you and your wife, that's five people in a two-bedroom condo. I'm not stupid. I know that's not really going to work or it's not ideal. Move west, move east, go to a townhouse. The closest you can get to work, for the mo get the most you can get, the closest to work. That's what it comes down to. Boom. There's my answer. Get the most home you can get closest to your work. And that's obviously without overstretching yourself. If you get approved for 800 and I don't know what the mortgage payments are going to be or with your down payment, but pretend your mortgage is $3,000 and pretend your uh, monthly income after tax is $4,000. You got to ask yourself, can I truly live, uh, you know, and feed my family, pay all the expenses with $1,000 a month? 
Now, with right budgeting, you might be able to. But if you want, uh, you're going to be very, very tight. And you're going to be pretty much living for your home. Do you want to live like that? That is the next question you have to ask yourself. I don't know what your, your financials are. I mean, you may the mortgage may be $3,000. Your income may be $7,000. I have no idea. But I'm just saying, consider lifestyle in your decision as well. Will you have to sacrifice a bit? Yes. In the beginning, you will. No matter what you buy, no matter who you are or what your income. The beginning, initial start is a little bit of a push. Just saying, don't overstretch yourself because you don't want to live to work. You still want to have a way to work to live. That is my advice. And that is today's real estate Q&A. I hope uh, this was helpful. It is every two weeks. So um, I think the next one, every two weeks, I said, right? So we're on January 13th. The next one is going to be January 20. 7th. So tune in January 27th at 12 o'clock for the next real estate Q&A. Thanks for joining.